0: 12 years ago, um, last uh, two months ago, 12 years ago in August, um, I I was stuck in this big mud pit in my Jeep uh, off-roading with some friends that way in Indiana, and uh, we were pretty certain that this pit that we were stuck in was not 100% uh, purple mountain majesty, you might say. It was not 100% God's green earth. You could smell it It was something else is what it was. But anyway, that was the end of the rear drive for my Jeep. So no amount of four wheel drive or winching or whatever. It was like by the muscle of basically Steven by himself. He did it all. Um, But uh, we all got it up this really long hill and into a nice clearing where we decided, man, we're going to take a break from that misery. And we're just going to tow this Jeep through this nice semi open lots of pine trees. But we'll make it sort of a flat area back to the trailers and it'll be great, until I'm in the driver's seat, and they take off, and I'm losing rope. And you know, like when a ski rope gets tight, and you're like, this is where it happens? Oh, it happened. And uh, so we didn't see this rock that was like this high on the passenger side, which kind of like flipped my Jeep, and you should wear your seatbelts, kids. Uh, It supermanned me out of the Jeep, and I, I snapped my radius and ulna and sucked some mud into where that whole thing happened, and that made my stay at Jasper Hospital this way, like, Ooh, boy, a lot longer. Now, how many of you guys have ever waited to get in the ER before? Have you guys waited? I didn't wait that day, okay? The trick is get in an ambulance, right? If you've waited, it's because all those people in the ambulances, they're in there in front of you. So if you ever really want to get in, ambulance is your key. Uh, I say all that to say that no amount of of my effort ever would have got that Jeep out of the mud. It would have got it up the hill. It wouldn't have got it back to the trailer. That was uh, friends that helped that happen. And the same was true as I lay in a hospital bed in Jasper and Noah gets on the bus for the very first time to go to preschool. Friends and family are what were making that happen. Because when I came home from the hospital, finally, no more infection. Thank God I didn't die from a mud infection. Like, how non-glorious is that? <laughs> that is very boring, and wow, <laughs> you died from mud. Uh, well, once I got home, I kind of began to realize that like, this broken body really can't serve anybody. A- and that's a little bit of what our series is about, but that is not the genesis. We'll get to that in a bit. We have two pit stops. That's one of them. But the experience I had in that time when my arm was very broken— Uh, is something I just kind of resolved to never waste because in the midst of the fact that Noah is five and going to preschool for the very first time oh my goodness and Micah is two and have you ever tried to change a two-year-old's diaper we don't need to get too detailed but you cannot do that with one arm so life was just really hard at home, and while our kids would have been thrilled to just eat cereal and then cereal and then have cereal, uh, they would have done that forever. It would have killed us, uh, for sure. So we had the the church, the love of the church. Now we did have our family. Oh my gosh, so helpful. But the church decided they were going to express love in freezer meals. And so our freezer was packed, and our fridge was full, and we no longer had to eat cereal and cereal, and it was cereal with cereal, and then cereal with milk. We didn't have to just, ugh. But man, the yard wasn't getting mowed, and the bushes weren't getting trimmed, and the roof needed redone, and I wanted a new floor. And not all of those things got fixed by the church. But for sure, I could remember being in the house and thinking, man, I just can't do much. And hearing a lawnmower outside mowing our grass. Thank you, Mike. And then one day, people trimming our bushes. I mean, there's way easier ways to get your bushes trimmed, guys. (laughs) You don't need to break your arm. But in the midst of all of uh, Andrea finding out what, for better or worse, and for what sickness and health really meant for her, um, we we were experiencing the, the light and the love and the... The feeling of being a member of a body of Christ, only we were the ones deeply in need. And I don't know if all of us have ever felt something like that. I hope that you don't have to have a great tragedy, but I hope that if you do, your relationship is such with some segment of this biblical community that you feel that love of Christ. I, I want to dis- distinguish between two things. Th- there's, there's, yeah, I'm so happy to be part of church. And then there's, I'm so happy to be part of church. Oh, it sounds like they need something. I'm going to take them a meal. See, over here, uh, the tanners would sit down to a plate full of, like, <sighs> Greek-seasoned good intentions, Mm, just let those good intentions just waft, and you're still hungry. And then over here, you've got um, chicken pot pie, and that actually fills you. So, so there's, there's kind of two responses, and it, it is sort of incumbent upon us today to decide which, which kind of a, a member of this body we're going to be. So uh, the, the church made the difference— in our family at that time, because my body was so broken that the body of Christ was able to surround us and walk through us through that pain-filled time. This this is just how Jesus expects His church to function. So we'll review the last three sermons of our Dismembered series. We, we've explored uh, the church as a body, dismembered, a broken body can't serve anybody. Um, our first message, I preach that we know a broken body can't bring hope. Uh, a broken body can't bring hope, and we explored a couple of different storylines, in a broken body can't bring hope. Uh, a, an army with a soldier who decides he wants to quit mid-war is really now uh, addressing a number of issues. And, and then a fireman, uh, and we, we remember that the Huntley's house caught on fire, Firemen showed up and put it out, and that's great, but what if? The fireman who's supposed to say, hey, guys, don't go back in there. It might reignite. What if he just decides tonight he just doesn't want to do that job? He wants to grab the hose and just be the hose guy. The Huntleys would have gone back into a house that did then reignite and burn to the ground in less than six hours of time. But he did his job. So the Huntleys are here with us. Thanks be to God. Uh, we explored the, the teaching of Paul that he sees the whole church as a body. And you can find his references there to Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. You can find it all through his letters where he he believes that the church is a body. And he'll call it some other things, but he loves that image of a body. And so his idea is that when the church is maturing, that she's then not only growing together, but she's also growing up in maturity into the head, which is Christ. So, so Paul's idea is then that when, when we, uh, we mature by, like, gathering, we mature by the things you'll see in Acts 2 in just a second, we mature by discovering how God has gifted us, what kinds of talents, skills, abilities he's given each of us, and then putting them to use in the church and outside the church. And then Jesus believes, and this is in his high priestly prayer, John 15 through 17, Jesus then says that when we're united, we're connected to God and we're growing together in one another, that we are by our unity, and remember the level of unity? It's the level of unity that Christ has with God. He says that we're united like that, that Christ is in God and we're in Christ and God is in us, and then that that then is a witness to the world. They see that unity. So that was our first message. So this is our pit stop number one. I told you we'd have two pit stops. Pit stop number one is where that idea that Paul talked about, that idea that Jesus talked about, those ideas sort of together together percolating in my heart and mind, I encounter 1 Corinthians, and I'm imagining this question. I'm, I'm imagining just a person in the city of Corinth at the time that Paul has written this letter. He just plants a church, and then he goes on, and he has to write a letter because of what he's heard going on there. And I try to imagine a person who's without hope, who, who doesn't have any form of community to pick them up when they're down, who doesn't have a church in their community, shining the light of Christ, I try to imagine, is there any way that that person is going to find hope in that town? Because, oh, 1 Corinthians is loaded with some problems. So that was our first pissed off. That's what sort of birthed this whole message called dismembered. Okay, our second message, Robin showed us that a broken body can't work together. If you guys want to flip to Acts 6 at this time, a broken body can't work together. You can follow along and see if... Am I summarizing correctly? But I'm going to summarize because we're just reviewing a couple of sermons here. Uh, in this uh, brand new church in Jerusalem, there was a ministry feeding widows. Now imagine how, how brightly the light of Christ would have shone in this city. And imagine it because... Just a quick cultural background. Commentators used to say, the church picked this habit up from the Jews. They no longer agree on that. They're now starting to say, because of archeological discoveries, that the church is the one that started this daily distribution, is what our translations say, this daily distribution to the widows. The church started it, and then the Jews started to do what the church was doing. It was almost as though the light was shining so brightly in this new community of Christ that the Jews were like, better do what they're doing. It's looking pretty good because the word was out that this new community cared so much. They cared for these people who were forgotten. They were widows. They were really of no value to society. So, So that light shone so brightly that it's interesting that something as maybe evident not as spiritual as we would think as uh, feeding people, uh, could have become uh, a big problem for that church. Um, All we can figure that is at best, there was a language barrier problem, and at worst, there might have been a cultural heritage problem. There might have been a race problem. But what we see is that people stepped forward to use their gifts to serve. So as Roman asked, what was the outcome when the body of Christ gathered together, they pitched in, they worked together, and they did the work that needed to be done? And we find that in Acts 6, verse 7. And, and that is so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. So these are guys that formerly were saying, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, and now they're saying, hey, Messiah came, and it was Jesus. That's the level of transformation that took place in this city when this issue of feeding the widows was resolved. Who would have thought that overseeing the feeding of widows could have such a massive impact? I wouldn't have thought that. It's almost like, and imagine this, it's almost like The city of Jerusalem were able to recognize something different about those people that were feeding those widows. It's almost like they could just see that they loved them. It's almost like they knew that by their love, they were what? Say it, church. They knew they were Christians by their love. They could see that. Now, does help? plate of like heaping good intentions, would they see that? They wouldn't see a plate of social media thoughts and prayers. They couldn't see that. They saw a practical expression of the love of God. So we're all called to serve somewhere. That's what Robin said in our our third part. Everybody has a part in the body. Each one of us has a specific part to play. Each one of us has an important part to play. And if we dislike our part, let's say we don't really, we're just not feeling that part anymore. You know, it sounds like that lady talks a little different than these other widows I know. I just, I don't know if I really want to feed her. I'm not feeling that today. What's the result? Well, then you've got some complaining. Your church becomes dismembered, and it's really not necessary but now you've got a broken body that can't serve anybody. So, Robin just used the football reminder that the Colts have a bunch of players on their team, and I'm not a Colts fan. I mean, I don't care, really, NFL, whatever, Schmitt NFL. I'm a big college football fan, though, and I can tell you that right now, the UK desperately needs a long snapper. So, if you've got one, just please send him over to UK. They could desperately use him. Lots of wins we would have if we just had that little, stinking, lousy part. I had no clue what a long snapper was. I mean, not even the faintest idea. And I still, if I had to explain it to you, would be like, ah, he throws the ball through his legs back to that guy who then kicks it, which is critical. But I didn't know it until, man, do they not have it. And maybe you've got a team like that. And maybe it's your work team where you're just thinking, if only someone would answer the phone like, hey, I'm so glad you called, with a smile, instead of like, what do you want? Like, maybe you have something like that going on at work, and maybe it's not even a person. It's a copier that just will not make more than two copies. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family where, oh my gosh, everybody has a part and won't you just play your part without us having to whip you every time you need to play your part? Whatever it is, we've all experienced something like that. I've never been on a football field and needed a long snapper. It's just something that I can very clearly see the results of because I think he's supposed to throw it to the kicker and he throws it like, like... all the way out of the stadium, I and mean, it is a terrible sight to see. But that's kind of what was happening in Corinth, because it's almost like long snappers, like, man, I want to be a quarterback. Only he's like upside down with his face on the ground and throwing it this way, and that's not what quarterbacks do. So Paul says it this way in First Corinthians, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the long snapper, I mean foot, should say, because I'm not a quarter or a hand, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of a body. It's still attached to the body. It's just not functioning because it chooses not to function because it doesn't like its function. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body are an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So the Corinthians wanted to argue about a whole host of things, but they really liked uh, specifically, one of the things they argued about was how maybe God didn't arrange the members in the body. Maybe really, if they just pray hard enough and they... Um, get up and say enough things that sound like a spiritual tongue that now they're going to have the gift that this other person had, and they really want to have it, but they don't. So they're just going to kind of fake it till they make it, only they never make it, and the fake it is not convincing, and it's actually a disaster because the people that are coming to worship are just leaving confused. Like, what is happening in this place? This is a disaster, and they're calling themselves little Christs, or Christians, or followers of the way. So the Corinthians were a totally dismembered church, gifts being one of the issues. But they like to argue over teachers. They like to argue over whether if you believe this teacher, you're really actually a Christian. They like to argue, uh, they, they like to, to, to judge each other for which teacher maybe taught them or baptized them. What they didn't want to judge, however, was when there was like this rampant sexual sin going on in the church. They didn't want to judge that. And they didn't want to judge any other issues that happened in the church. In fact, they went to court for it. So now the city of Corinth sees the Christians in court. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I, can, I cannot imagine what this looks like to the community they... Imagine this, you're, you're like a business owner who doesn't have a very fixed schedule. You have very fixed responsibilities, but not so fixed schedules, so you're flexible. And you can get to the fellowship meal early before all the laborers who get off at five. And so what do you do? You just gorge yourself on the meal. I mean, we're just in there just pounding all that chicken from JC, right? Nom, 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 right? And when all of the laborers show up that can't get off till five, they have a plate of not even good intentions. It's like the chicken bones that say, all these people that said they loved you, they ate your JC chicken. They ate it. And they don't care about you, actually. They just care about getting here early enough to eat the food that you wanted to eat. But now you can't eat it because they ate it. That was Corinth. That broken body couldn't serve anybody. So Paul says everybody has a part to play. They have a gift. They have an ability. They have a talent. They have a skill, and that they all have a part. So today is our final Sunday in the series "Dismembered," and our final message is anybody can recognize a broken body made whole again. So join me in Acts. If you're already there, flip back to chapter two. We're in Acts two, and we're just going to compare. Let's go through Acts 2, and I don't want to go through it really long, but I really want to hit these verses at the beginning, and then we're going to hit headlines after that. So in Acts 2, this church is brand new, and she's not fledgling in a, oh, be gentle with her kind of a way. She's exploding in growth. It says that their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, was resulting and some health, and some maturity, and some growth. It says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, even more than sports teams. Listen to this. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone that had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's as though the whole city could see this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The gospel that Jesus is the reigning king, and that through him alone, we might find a new identity, a new citizenship in a kingdom of heaven with consequences like forgiveness and results like salvation. We get to join him in his kingdom, and as our king, we get to claim that victory as ours, as members. Of his kingdom. So what on earth could stop a message like that? What could possibly stop such a powerful message? The good news is permeating the city, even up to the highest levels of the council. Now we're going to go through some headlines in Acts. Still in chapter 2, but moving up to chapter 6. Just going to hit some headlines. The good news makes it up to the council. The good news is just not able to be stopped. The, churches, the church leader's boldness encourages the boldness of the whole church. So she's increasing in boldness, and the name of Jesus was on the lips of everybody. Everybody knew about Jesus as the new king, and the fellowship was so incredible between those believers. Everyone's needs were being met, Then there's the great lie of Ananias and Sapphira, and the church appears to be broken, but is this what will stop the good news from going forth? It's not, because you can see in your scriptures, the sin is dealt with immediately, and the growing continues. Healings continue. Health continues. The gospel good news is shared. It finds its way, finally, into prison, into prison, because the government's made it illegal to preach the good news. Now, now, notice that once they're in prison, and if you're just reading headlines, you'll see like, ta-da, they're not in prison anymore, and they're preaching again because the power of God was upon them. And so he just removed them from prison and put them back in the temple, and now they're preaching the good news again. So is there anything that could possibly stop this gospel good news from spreading all through the city? Well, there's one thing that we notice right away, and that's that the government cannot stop the good news just by saying, that's illegal. It did not stop it. In fact, what did happen? Did it stop it? Did it impede it? In fact, the church kept growing even more. So it's time for an aside. Um, This is just pit stop Um, number two. They get out of jail, they preach some more, and they get beat, and they preach some more, and they rejoice that they can be considered worthy of beating for the gospel. But here is our pit stop number two, two of two for the day. Pit stop number two is where we've just encountered here in Jerusalem, where it's crystal clear that the government has ad hoc, just right now today, we decided you can't preach anymore. And uh, friends, we can see that the gospel was not impeded. Uh, But we also have encountered a time when like Tuesday, something's going on. Ding, 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 ding! there should be like alarm bells going on everybody's head. Unless, you know, maybe you've already taken care of this. But Tuesday is a day that we, collectively, should all be out there voting. Here's why I think a Christian should vote, particularly in our country. And that's because we're in a representative democracy, which means we have like a say in how it's run. So if we, if then, just follow some super basic reasoning, if we have a say in how it's run, Should we not then encourage our government to be run as nearly as it would be glorifying to God for it to be run? Should we not do that? We could agree, of course. God's church says yes. So I'm not going to tell you which candidate to vote for, but I am going to say I think this really leads to uh, two logical conclusions. Number one, our vote must be made in a good conscience before God. Our vote must be made in a good conscience before God. So for me, that rules out just going in and like pulling the lever, right? Like, give me the R's. Give me the D's. Like, you don't know what your conscience is because you're just yanking a lever. And you have no flipping clue what you've done. You're just like, bloop, bloop. I like buttons. And then you're out. And I have kids, and I'm busy. And trust me, I have no idea what I'm doing because they're all out of school. And like, hey, voting, here's your kids. What? Like, that's the day they should be in this school, Uh, but that's not happening. So, God, help us all, but uh, we're still going to make sure that our vote is made in a good conscience before God. And then number two, we must examine the principles upon which our candidates stand. That's how, then, we can make the best possible choice for the most God-honoring person we could put in responsibility in whether it be county, state, or national government. So do that this Tuesday, and remember that if at the end of Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or whenever it is that we get all of our results, that if the person that you were not like, yeah, let's go, John Smith, is not the one who is in power when you go to work that day, that the government cannot stop the gospel. There is no way that the government can stop the gospel. It could be illegal on Wednesday, and it's just going to grow. But it is still important for us to be voting someone who we believe God would have for our county, our city, or our country. So what is it that could possibly stop this gospel good news, this Jesus is king of a brand new kingdom news that we get to be members? What could possibly stop good news like this? What could stall it? What could even be a speed bump for something like that? What it, I'll tell you what it could have been, and we're in Acts 6 now, if we're just reading headlines and we're back through to Acts 6, what it could have been is the internal issues of the church that we encounter in Acts 6. It could have been that. It could have been that when they lied, God struck them dead. All right, so the leaders are like, well, that's solved. Uh, But now we're in Acts 6, and God's not striking anybody dead, and he's not magically feeding the widows. Nothing is happening, but a big complaint is arising. That could have stopped it. People were being treated differently because of one of two things. A language or a cultural heritage. And the result was they weren't getting food. It was like there was a long snapper somewhere in that church there in Jerusalem who was like, snap, 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 snap. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm a receiver. And he just like runs off for a route that no one's throwing to. And meanwhile, kicker back here is like, I need a ball. And widows, more importantly, are like, I don't have my daily need, not next week's need, not tomorrow's, my daily need, because someone decided, "Eh, I'm not into this today. Eh, Different language, that's kind of weird. I don't know about those people, kind of a cultural heritage that I don't really agree with, not into that. And so the simple failure of individuals to continue sharing in the most practical way possible, daily need, daily bread, ring a bell, they decide that they can't freely give the love that Jesus gave to them any longer. This is where the body of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem could have become like the church that we countered in Corinth. Broken. No longer able to apply the gospel good news to the community or to herself. Broken. A broken body that can't serve anybody. Fractured. No longer united. Dismembered. Unable to shine any kind of Christ light to a city that's hurting. One important distinction. One important distinction separated Jerusalem from Corinth. One distinction. Her leaders were redeemed. You see, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem lived a life that looked very different. By God's grace, we're going to live this life, friends. It won't be perfect every day. But those leaders were all men who initially, listen to this, those leaders, when they followed Jesus' miracles and teachings and watched him love the crowds, they failed him miserably. Like at the point that he desperately needed him, they just failed him completely. Those were the leaders. But here's what's so critical about those leaders. They weren't a bunch of long snappers that wanted to go out for a pass. They were not people that knew their gifts and decided, I'm not going to do it. They were not that. What they were was each one of these men were a man who was formerly broken, failure, disaster, deserter, but they were made whole again by a new life lived in Christ, that's what made the difference, friends. They, they decided that they said this with Paul in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with, say it with me, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but who is it that lives in me? It's Christ who lives in me. So, so what that looked like then is in a church where an issue is coming down the pike. And it's kind of cultural. It might even have the big R word, racism. And here it comes, down to this beautiful church that's shining the light of Christ and sharing hope and love with a world that's broken, and here it comes. And what do those leaders say? They don't say it's not important. They say what's critical is that the gospel must be shared, that we can have brand new life in Christ, but it's because they are living that life in Christ that they can say they're both important. Solve this one. We're committed to this one. Let's go share the hope and love of Christ That's what the difference was between Jerusalem and Corinth, between the love of Christ being visible to the world. And holy smokes, they're in court. They're taking each other to court. They're having relations with their stepmom. They're arguing about who gets to say the stuff on stage. They're psychos. That's the difference is a life lived in Christ. Anybody can recognize a broken body made whole Again, these men made sure that the broken ways of that early church in Jerusalem did not hinder the spread of the gospel. The church in Corinth was an entirely different situation. Angela is forcing herself deliberately like by an act of will to minute by minute walk through a prolonged divorce from a husband who just found somebody more exciting on a business trip. Three kids at home, all in school. So Angela, Angela goes to work at Cracker Barrel because bills aren't gonna pay themselves. And Angela works every day that the kids are in school and Angela, if she can find somebody to watch the kids, which is a whole different issue we'll get into, but if she can find somebody to watch the kids, she's going to pull a double on Saturday and Sunday and hope that by the grace of God, there's a tip that will just cover like water and lights because I've got the house on deferment and the loans for the, the student loans on deferment and God help us, I'm going to make lights and water And it's not easy to watch Angela's kids because Angela's kids, they go to bed every night uh, and mom tucks them in. and, And Angela's kids, you know, when that little window, the heart opens, they say, mom, what did I do? And she has to do that in one bedroom and then another bedroom and then another bedroom. And then she goes to her bedroom alone and she closes the door and it's dark. And Angela goes to work. She found a sitter. She convinced him the kids aren't gonna throw stuff at him this time, that the kids aren't gonna suddenly just burst into tears. And she gets to pull a double, and in the middle of that shift, a friend comes to her, and she, she, her friend just says, I'm gonna take a risk. Angela, looks like you're going through something really hard. And Angela can't face her anymore, She buries her puffy eyes in her hands, and she collapses into her shoulder. I feed my kids the free biscuits and butter from Cracker Barrel. What am I going to do? Friends, when that friend invites Angela to church, is she going to find Jerusalem, or is she going to find Corinth, wouldn't you bow your heads? I think it comes down to this: saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. We've talked about what it looks like for three weeks. It's the fourth week. And I don't know what the Lord has been convicting you. But we have the opportunity to be one of two churches. Jerusalem. Or Corinth. I think Jesus talked about it this way. He said, you're the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill and you can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Not your good intentions. Not your I'm going to check on how I can help next week. Not your thoughts and prayers. Not another social media post. It says, thinking of you. But good deeds that glorify our Father in heaven. When saved people serve people, everybody can see a broken body made whole again. Father, would you in our hearts give us the courage to follow the conviction Whatever it is you've laid on our hearts, whatever talent, skill, ability, gift, wherever you have said, it's time for you to step forward and make my church like Jerusalem. We have a welcome wall in the lobby. If you need to take a step and you're not sure what it looks like, find a counselor at the welcome wall. If you've not united your life with Christ and said, I want to be a member of that kingdom, I want to bring That light. It's time to pledge your full allegiance to a king greater than any king. Maybe it's time for you to find a ministry. There's a wall in the back with loads of opportunities, and I don't know where you're going to encounter an Angela, but I trust that by God's grace, he will build this church up into his son, Jesus Christ. Father, would you make that true of each of us and of this church? To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.